It's good to be back with you. It's good to head back into our sermon series, Engage. And as I mentioned in the prayer, I enjoyed watching Emery worship the Lord. And I did see her dad handing her money to put in the offering plate. And in my mind, I just thought, boy, is that a sign of things to come. <laughs> dad, I need money. Dad, I, that's like the first of many, handing her money. She is irresistible. I love her. Um, true story here about Emery. My mom watches her a couple days out of the week. I don't think I shared this with you guys, um, but my mom, uh, they were talking about like what to do in, I think, in difficult situations. Some, I don't know how she was talking to the little ones about this, but my mom's great with kids. Uh, it was, in, I'm sure, in a great way. But I guess Emery, her response was to start singing worship songs. So she started singing, I am who you say I am. <laughs> and she just, just kept going with that, that song. I, I just, man, we, our worship here is impacting even people like Emery. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. They are our future, right? These little ones, they're going to be, hopefully, some of them will go away. We've seen that with, you know, our older generation that has kids my age. They've, some have gone away, but some have stayed. And we pray that the, the ones that stay, they will be leaders in this church, and they will take it to new heights and make it become all that God desires it to be. So I'm excited about that. Um, I appreciate Jim for filling in for me last Sunday. I just think he is such a natural communicator he just does it, and just uh, it just seems easy. Um, maybe it wasn't, but you did a fantastic job. I'm sure God blessed you through his sharing. And as always, it's just such an awesome opportunity for me to focus on a lot of other things for the church when I don't have that load of preparing a message. But I do realize it puts an, uh, an, an extra load on somebody that's already working full-time and is coaching as well. It's just amazing what our guest speakers do. Um, we're, we're headed back into the Engaged Sermon series this morning, and I want to remind you where we've been these last seven weeks. I'll try and do this as succinctly as I possibly can. But what we're doing is we are looking at the essential spiritual disciplines of Jesus that enable Jesus to always be in tip-top spiritual condition so that he was able to do what needed to be done, when it needed to be done, in the way that it needed to be done, even in the most pressure-packed situations. Jesus was extraordinarily kingdom fit. Remember our kingdom fit sermon series. And if we are going to do the things that Jesus did, if we are going to obey his commands... We ourselves need to be in tip-top spiritual condition. Our minds, our hearts, our bodies need to be trained and conditioned to love God above all else and to love others in the same way that we love ourselves, no matter what we're going through. And in order for us to keep in step with God the Father and God the Spirit so that we become this sort of person that uh, is like Jesus in heart and action, 
we need to take up the same practices that Jesus participated in that kept him in step with the Father and in step with the Spirit. And so we've looked at Jesus' habit of prayer. We, we took four weeks to look at that habit. Uh, last time I taught, we started to look at Jesus' habit of engaging God through truth, the truth of God's word. We're going to continue looking at, now that we've looked at Jesus' habit of that, today we're going to look at, all right, how does that really become a habit for us? Here's what we did learn about Jesus' habit of prayer, though, the last time I taught. Let me just remind you here. Um, we learned that Jesus believed that the scriptures contained the actual words of God and therefore were true. Jesus also considered the word of God to be as vital to an abundant life as bread. And therefore, he regularly engaged God through the scriptures and he allowed God's word to drive every decision Every action, every thought, every word, every deed. Moreover, Jesus believed that the scriptures all told this unified story that reached its culmination in him. So the Old Testament was all about Jesus. New Testament, all about Jesus and his body, his bride, the church. And so Jesus believed that this story that culminated in him was God's story of redemption that he was writing to redeem his good world from the effects of Satan's sin and death. So Jesus believed these things. And seeing Scripture the way that Jesus saw Scripture is absolutely critical for us because it will provide us with the motivation we need to engage the Scriptures. If we believe the Scriptures are actually God's words and therefore are true and are just as vital to life as bread is to our body for living, then we're going to have motivation to want to pursue God through His Word. We also won't be shocked when we find the scriptures difficult to understand. Think about it. If these are the very thoughts of God, (laughs) if the scriptures are the very mind of God, we can expect to be confounded at various points as we read the scriptures. God's ways are higher than our ways. And so when we enter or we experience difficulty as we read the scriptures, we're not going to be shocked by the fact that sometimes it's going to be difficult to understand. And so I ask you this morning, do you hold the high view of scripture that Jesus held? Do you hold that view? If you don't hold this high view of scripture that it's the word of God, that the words are true, that it's vital to life, that it should drive a person's every decision and drive their thinking and their feeling and their behaving, we're not here to condemn you. In fact, you know, you may hold very valid reasons as to why you believe that the scriptures aren't what Jesus believed them to be. Here's what I find most often, though. Um, most often, people haven't really considered what they think about the Bible. That's what I find most often. Or they have an opinion of the Bible. Let's say it's not the inspired 
authoritative word of God. They don't believe it, but they've never really read the Bible for themselves. That's another thing that I find. They just object it without really engaging it. So I'm just curious, what kind of view do you hold of Scripture? What do you think about the Bible? Do you think it's like a collection of you know, moral stories and, and fables that, that give us general wisdom? Um, do you think it's just a history book of the life and religious beliefs of the Jewish people or something else? What do you, what do you believe about it? If you object to the Bible being the authoritative word, you know, inspired word of God, um, I would I would encourage you to look at your objectives to that or your objections to that being true, and then I would encourage you to ask, how do you know your objections to the word being the actual word of God? Uh, how do you know your objections are true? What evidence do you have for your beliefs that it's not the authoritative word of God? For those of you who have settled in your heart that indeed it is, that all of Scripture is God-breathed, then um, (laughs) we're going to talk this morning, how do we exactly engage God through the Scripture? So let me pray, and then I am going to talk about several things that I think will be helpful for you and for me. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thank you that you love us and that you're always desiring to grow us and to teach us and to conform us into the image of your son. Thank you that your grace is so great and amazing that no matter where we're at, no matter what we've done, if we are willing to come to you in in humility Um, trusting in what your son has done for us, you accept us. You make us a part of your family. You welcome us with open arms, and we're just grateful for that. It's so undeserved. Lord, we don't deserve your word. We don't deserve that your very mind has been captured in the scriptures and that those scriptures have lasted over thousands of years to reach to us so that we have access to them so that we can know you. It's just amazing. May we not take it for granted. Lord, I pray that as we consider how we engage you through them, that you would give us wisdom and that you would create a fire in us to uh, engage with you through your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's the first thing that I think you need to keep in mind if you're going to engage God through the scriptures. You need to start with the end in mind. This is so important in in my mind, and let me explain why. Um, The objective of Bible study, Bible memorization, Bible meditation is all about accomplishing the goals that I explained to you when we went over the individualized discipleship plan. Here they are. You may remember them from the Kingdom Fit sermon series. To grow in our knowledge and experience of God as our extremely loving creator, savior, and father, and to remove our sinful patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving that are getting in the way of us living out the ways of God's kingdom. This is the end that we are after when we engage the Bible. This is what we're at. This is the goal. 
You see, Bible engagement is not an end in itself. Bible engagement is not the goal. It's simply a means to this greater end, which is on the screen for you. And I believe this is critical for us to remember because often I talk to people and I'll ask them, how is their walk with God going? And their response is something like this. Well, I've been decent at reading my Bible and praying, and so I think I'm doing all right. This well-intentioned answer reveals a failure to keep one's eye on the prize. For if we are not growing in our knowledge and experience of God as our extremely loving creator, savior, and father, and if we are not removing those old sinful patterns of thinking, behaving, and doing, I don't care how much Bible reading you do, how much Bible memorization you do, how much praying you're doing, it's not being effective. This is what we're after. Let's not confuse the means with the end. We're not after Bible knowledge alone. We're not after conviction alone. We're not after wisdom alone. We're not after checking off a box of doing a religious deed so that we can feel better about ourselves. We are after God, and we are after the radical life transformation that only God can provide. That's the end we're after when we read the Bible. Um, And so we must start with this end in mind. The Apostle Paul stated that he was after the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Love that. Is this what you're after when you read the Bible? Because if if we're after God and the transformation he can bring, chances are we're going to have the right heart attitude as we engage the scriptures. Let me talk about the right heart attitude we need when we go to read the Bible. So this is the second main takeaway. When we engage the Bible, we got to check our hearts. So you need to check your hearts. I believe there are three heart attitudes that are extremely important if we are going to engage God through the scriptures. We must approach the scriptures expectantly, humbly, and obediently. Let me just talk about each one of these, starting with we must approach the scriptures expectantly. I'm going to read three passages of scripture to you, and I think they tell us why we are to approach and why we should approach the Bible um, expectantly. Here's, here's the first passage, Hebrews 14, 12 through 13. It says this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And then there's 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I really appreciate how the message paraphrases this verse. Let me read that to you. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellion... Correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task 
God has for us. And then there is 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So, here's what I think. These three different passages tell us and why we should approach the Bible expectantly. The Holy Spirit, based on these passages, is a heart surgeon, and his scalpel of choice is God's word, which he uses to cut us right to the heart in order to repair it through three things, illumination, reflection, and transformation. So I'm going to talk about these three things. All right, so let me just tell you, I should have, like, got you an outline. First thing, start with the end in mind. Second thing, check your heart. Now, as checking your heart, we're looking at why you should approach the Bible with the heart attitude of being expecting God to work. And I'm telling you, you can expect God to work because of how the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God for illumination, for um, reflection, and for transformation. It's a lot to take in, right? So here we go, illumination. The Holy Spirit first enables us to intellectually understand the things of God recorded in the Scriptures, This is what illumination is. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. I remember when I first read the Gospels for the first time when I really started pursuing Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was like feeling like, making it seem like the, the Scripture, the words were just jumping off the page right into my heart. Have you ever had that happen? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you've had that happen. I remember when my brother was going through a really difficult time in high school with the relationship that he was in. We, we got together and we were reading the book of James. I, it was like, I mean, I, it was like, it, it, I, it couldn't have spoke to his situation any more completely, I, intelligently. It was just amazing as we're reading this. There was just illumination that the scripture was giving my brother in that. The Holy Spirit enables us to comprehend God's truth. I wasn't a reader at all before I became a Christian. But once I became a Christian, I couldn't read enough. And I still can't read enough. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And the understanding that I've received as I have read has been the result of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, illuminating God's truth. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does and why we can approach the scriptures expectantly is the Holy Spirit provides a reflection. You see, the Holy Spirit turns the word of God into a mirror. And as we are in the scriptures with God, we see our true reflection. We see our true condition. We see the true condition of our heart. We see our thinking patterns, our feeling patterns, whether they're good or sinful The Holy Spirit turns God's word into a mirror. We get to see what what we're afraid of. We get to see how we're not approaching our life in the best ways possible and how we are. It's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. And then the third thing that the Holy Spirit does with the word of God is it not only helps us to understand the scriptures, 
not only does it help us to see our true reflection in the scriptures, but then it actually takes that truth we're understanding and it takes our situation and it takes that truth and brings it into our situation so that it makes, the Holy Spirit makes God's truth real to our hearts and that leads to transformation. So here you go. The Holy Spirit makes the truth of God's word real to our hearts so that our hearts are melted and transformed by the truth. I love uh, Tim Keller's uh, quotes in regards to this. He's, he's a former pastor. He's still a leader. Um, planning, he has a, plan, a church planning network. He, he writes this. I, I can't remember what book I read this in. When I go to the truth of God and the Spirit has given me access, do you see what happens? You can read about the power of God. If you just read about the power of God without the influence of spirit, you say, oh, God is powerful. Without the influence of the spirit, all that can do is make a superficial impression on the top of you. But when the spirit of God is there, you read about the power and there's access. The truth begins to shine. It begins to change you. And what happens is your heart develops courage. When you read about his goodness, it develops peace in you. When you read about his forgiveness, it develops relief in you. You shake off your guilty fears. When you read about his forgiveness, it develops generosity and mercy in you. When you read about the, his holiness, it develops conviction of sin and humility in you. Don't you see? Only when the Spirit of God is doing that do you see real access happening only then. The Spirit of God takes the truth of God and makes it real to our hearts. And when it becomes real to our hearts, it starts to rewire and transform our hearts. And so I believe we have every reason to approach God through the truth of his scriptures expectantly. Because when we are alone with the word of God, we're never alone. We are present with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God takes the Word of God to conform us into the image of His Son, the Son of God. One additional note that I would add here is to always remember the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit does not eliminate the need for hard work when it comes to knowing and understanding the Scriptures. Again, we in uh, our Thrive class this morning read a verse. I forget what it was, 1 Corinthians, uh, but it talked about God's grace in our transformation, but that Paul worked harder, hard, harder than anyone, he said. So there is this aspect where the Holy Spirit, we can't understand to be transformed by the Scriptures alone, that we need the Holy Spirit, but there are things, actions that we need to do. Um, and we need to engage with the scripture. So I uh, just want to make that clear. Here's another thing. As, uh, the other heart attitude. So there's two more heart attitudes that we need to approach the scriptures with. The these will be shorter. The next one is we need to approach the scriptures humbly. So I was talking about we need to approach them expectantly. We need to approach them humbly. We need to be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to use the Word of God, right, to give us that true reflection of ourselves, and we may not like what we see. And we're going to have to have the humility 
to look at our flaws and our imperfections. We're going to have to, at times, admit when we're wrong. There are going to be times when we're going to have to realize we owe someone an apology. There's going to be times when our dark side is going to be revealed. And, um, and we're not going to like it, and that's going to take humility. We also need humility to accept the things that God communicates in his scriptures that we don't agree with. There are times when we read the scriptures and we just don't agree um, or wouldn't have done or taken the stance that God has. And we have a choice to make. Are we going to trust our wisdom or are we going to trust the wisdom of God with that thing? It takes humility to trust that God's ways are higher than yours. And if you knew everything that God knew, you would be thinking the exact same way about the issue that he is thinking about it. We need to approach the scriptures with a hard attitude of obedience. So we need to approach the scriptures obediently. We need to approach them with this intention that as I read them, I am planning on obeying the truth that they reveal. Like, that's got to be where we're at when we open the Bible. Because if we're not fixated on obedience and we're not intentional about that, we are wasting our time. Knowing the truth without obedience will do a person no good. Jesus himself said, in Matthew 7, 26 and 27, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And it fell. It was a great fall, right? If our lives are not built on the foundation of God's word, it's only a matter of time until life circumstances crush us. Conversely, if our life is built on the foundation of God's word, there will be no life storm that will be able to ultimately destroy us and that we won't be able to overcome. And so I encourage you, when you open up your Bible this week, and I hope everybody does, check your heart, right? Start with the end in mind, check your heart. Am I approaching this? Right? Am I approaching this expectantly? Am I approaching this with humility? And I am, am I approaching this obediently with the intent to obey? The next question then becomes, once you've settled, I'm going to start with the end in mind, I'm going to check my heart, is what method should you choose? You've got to choose a method to engage the scriptures with. And there are a variety of different methods that you can use to get into the Word of God as you pursue God. And I believe they all have merit. So let me just give you a few examples. Maybe you'll want to try some of these you haven't tried. So one example is the book synthesis method. And this is where you read a book of the Bible several times. And what you do is you summarize the main themes of that book. And you make an outline of what are these main themes of this book. Like if I just took 1 Corinthians, right? I'm just going to read that several times, the whole book. What are the main themes? Another 
method for engaging God through his word is the verse-by-verse analysis method. This is where you choose a passage of scripture, and then you examine it in detail, verse-by-verse, asking questions, looking at cross-references, paraphrasing each verse and writing those paraphrases that you create from those verses on paper. Another way to engage the Bible is through the topical method. And this is by collecting all the verses you can on a specific topic and then comparing what those verses have to say about that topic. Um, A hot issue thing that's been a hot issue for a while in our culture is sexuality, right? What does the Bible say about sexuality? Get all those verses together, compare those verses, and uh, you're going to have a pretty good comprehensive view of what the scripture has to say about sexuality. Another way to uh, approach engaging God through his word is the word study method. And this is like taking words like faith, right? That, that word is used repeatedly in the scriptures. What? What are the different meanings of this word? How many times does it occur in scripture? What is the context surrounding this specific word? And what does that context tell us about this word? So that I can go deeper and deeper into what did the authors mean when they used the word faith. Most people I know use this method for Bible engagement. It's the devotional method. And the devotional method, what you do is you take a passage of Scripture. You spend time thinking about that that passage of Scripture Uh, You ask the Holy Spirit for understanding and application. That's typically what I think most Christians I know do. There are two devotional methods of reading the scripture that I really enjoy and have benefited from and I've seen others benefit from. The first one is called Lectio Divina. And this is you take a passage of scripture and you read it through and you ask yourself this question. Holy Spirit, what word are you impressing upon my heart? What word or verse in this passage are you impressing upon my heart? And then after reading that passage through, you sit and listen for God's still small voice to speak to you for a couple minutes. After doing that, you read the same passage of Scripture a second time, and you ask, Lord, is there a specific situation in my life right now that connects to this passage as a whole, or to this word or verse that you're impressing upon my heart. And then you sit, still, listening for God's still small voice for a couple minutes. Then you read the passage a third time. Now you're asking the question, Lord, is there a specific invitation from you to me today? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. When there isn't, You just offer a prayer of thanks to God that he is with you in this moment, and he's going to be with you through the remainder of your day, evening, night, whatever it may be. It's been amazing to do this myself and to do this with other people, um, just how God has spoken through that practice. What I like about that practice is it combines prayer, scripture reading, and meditation, good stuff. Another devotional method that I like is the Acts method. So you take a passage of scripture and you start with adoration and you ask this question. 
What aspect of God's character does this passage lead me to praise God for? Then you go to confession. What sin in my life does this passage cause me to have godly sorrow over that leads to repentance? Then you turn to thanksgiving. What gift in my life does this passage prompt me to thank God for? And then supplication. What need in my life or in the life of somebody else does this passage encourage me to ask God to meet? I like it. Simple. Start with the end in mind. Choose or check your heart. Choose a method. And I'm going to tell you fourthly, and I'm just about to wrap up here. Watch out for two common pitfalls. Here's the two common pitfalls. And I'll start with the first one. Here they are, only reading the Bible devotionally, only reading the Bible exegetically. And I'll tell you what I mean by these things. I'll start with the first pitfall because it's the most common. Only reading the Bible devotionally. Devotional Bible reading is fantastic because it focuses on answering the question, what does this scripture mean to me now and in my life, in my circumstances, in my situation? There's this real, uh, real emphasis on application, which I think is wonderful about the devotional method. It really helps us not to just be doers or not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. The drawback to only using this method to engage God through the scriptures is that it often leaves out exegesis. And we're all exegetes. And let me explain what this means really quickly. Exegesis is the process of determining what was the original meaning of the author's words to their original audience. That's what exegesis means. We all do this. Some of us just aren't very good at it. Right? We're all exegetes. We all, um, I'd li- I would like to think we're thinking about what the author originally meant. I guess not always do we do that. What we often, I guess we don't always do that. What we often do is we go straight to application. What does this mean for me today? But here's the thing. If you don't do proper exegesis, your application is going to be off. And this is where people can get really wacky with the scriptures and come to interpretations that are wrong. And just not healthy and good, this has happened too often, is because they have not done the task of proper exegesis. And when you're doing exegesis, you're looking at two things. You're looking at context and content. So in terms of content or context, you're looking at historical context and you're looking at literary context. I know this is like turning into like probably way more information than you wanted to know, but this is important. Historical context, you need to know the historical context to arrive at good, healthy, right interpretations. You need to know about the author. You need to know about the situation the author's writing to, what led to him, what was the occasion and the purpose of him writing to his audience. What do we know about the audience? If he's writing to the church at Corinth, what was happening happening in Corinth at the time that Paul wrote the letter? This all helps us to understand what the author's original intent was to his original audience. You need to know the historical context to really understand what's being communicated. You also need to know the literary context. 
So this is simply looking, you know, you can't just read a verse. you got to look at the verses around that verse. And then you got to look at the whole chapter. What is the whole chapter saying? And then you got to look at what is the whole book saying? And how does this book fit into the overarching storyline of the Bible? You need that literary context to really grasp, I feel like, and understand what the original author meant to the original audience. This is very important. So that's the first pitfall, is, is ignoring that exegesis. The second pitfall is this, only reading the Bible exegetically. People do this, and I feel like very intelligent people do this all the time. They get so lost in the historical context. They get so lost in the original languages that the Bible was written in. They get together with others and they talk all about how this verse connects with that verse. They get all puffed up on knowledge without considering what does this mean for me today and how should I live differently based on what I just read. If you're part of a Bible study that is not focused on application, there's a danger that it's going to just only this pitfall of just being about exegesis. Now that I know what the original text meant to the original audience, now i got to do that work of, all right, what does this mean for us now in 2020? Fifthly, last thing I'll say is use trusted tools. Utilize trusted tools. Look, we live in the information age. Uh, In Jesus' day, they were happy to have one set of scriptures, one copy of the scriptures in the synagogue of their village. We are walking around in our pockets with the, a co- our own personal copy of the scriptures. Jesus is, uh, the people in this day would have loved to have a pers- their own personal copy of the scriptures. We're walking around with the personal copy of the scriptures in a ton of different languages and a ton of different translations right in our pocket. Can you imagine what they would have thought, like how excited they would have been to have that kind of access to the scriptures? The YouVersion Bible app is a wonderful app for that purpose. In addition to having any translation of the Bible we want in any language we want, we have the advantage of tools like Bible dictionaries, concordances, right? We have commentaries. We have Bible maps and atlases. We have so many tools at our disposal. It's just unparalleled in human history that we have the access that we have to learn and engage God through the scriptures. And so I am a fan of using these tools, use tools from trusted people, especially when you're doing exegesis. Look, unless you have copies of, you know, the ancient historical documents, it's going to be hard for you to understand the historical context of the scriptures. Well, how can you do that? By using tools. The best Bible commentaries, what they do is they look at the historical context, they look at the literary context, right? They look at those things, and they say, look, these are the possibilities of what Paul could have meant when he said this. Based on the historical context, based on the literary context, these are the possibilities. And then they give uh, 
evidence for why these possibilities could be true, if there's a possibility of multiple um, interpretations. And if they, if they think one is more plausible, they'll, they'll tell you why. To me, the best commentaries don't do the thinking for you. They help you think. That's what they do. Utilize them. We're crazy if we don't tap in to what God has blessed the Christian community in the church with. These scholars who make their living uh, looking at the historicity of the text and, and, and pouring into that and, and helping us understand it. So, there you go. A lot of information there. You need to, I believe. Start with the end in mind. Check your heart. Uh, I can't even remember what the third one was. Let's see, anybody remember? Um, choose your method, right? Don't fall in those two pitfalls of just doing exegesis or just doing application and what this means for me now. And utilize trusted tools and resources. If you are here and this was like way too much information for you and you felt like you were sitting in a college class and like it just is like drinking from a fire hydrant. This is what I recommend anybody who's just starting to read the Bible. This is what I recommend for you. Get a life application study Bible because a life application study Bible, it helps you do exegesis and application. It'll, it'll give you so much information so that you can understand the historical context and so that you can start to make sense of what the scriptures say. I, when I first really started reading the Bible, had a life application study of Bible, and it's my personality to read every single footnote, but I learned so much by having that aid. I would get one of those in a translation that is trusted and easy to understand. The NIV is a good, trusted, easy to understand translation. I have read the whole Bible in the NLT. I find that to be a good, trusted, easy to understand uh, translation as well. I would get that. That's what we buy for people, Mary and I. We typically get them an NIV Life Application Study Bible. Jim and Brenda bought me an ESV Study Bible 10 years ago. And it's similar to the Life Application Study Bible with the help that it gives you. I've been using that for the last 10 years. I think it's fantastic as well, and I would highly recommend that one as well. I think that's a really good translation too. So there you go. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you, most of all, for your Holy Spirit that illumines, illuminates the Scripture for us. Lord, thank you that it also provides us with a reflection of where we're at and uh, our, our tr the true condition of our heart. But Lord, thank you that it doesn't just leave us with deepened understanding and, and, and reality of our true condition, but it leads, it brings about through the word, heart transformation. It makes your truth real to us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that has not uh, put their trust in you and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they would do so today. And if they've tried to engage the scriptures uh, without making that decision, perhaps the reason that they're struggling to make sense of it is because they have not yet received your spirit that illuminates the scripture uh, for us. And so I pray that they would receive you, receive 
of the Holy Spirit into their lives. Lord, I pray that we would not be lukewarm Christians. I pray that we would want to pursue you through the scriptures. And I pray that if we're not doing that right now, um, that we would take a step, even a little step, a baby step in that direction, just to engage the scriptures. Maybe if I, that person even starts for one or two times a week for 10 to 15 minutes, that's better than nothing. And it's a step in the right direction. Lord, thank you that you love us just the way we are and where we're at, but you love us too much to let us stay the way we are and to let us stay where we're at. Uh, we, we praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.